Hi, everyone, and welcome back to CritCast Pod. This is the podcast that offers the personal side behind the persona of world-leading athletes and performers. I'm your host, Sam Crick, and this week we've got a very, very special guest. I say it every week, but he's a guy that I've been wanting to get on the podcast for a while. Done a few interviews with him, um, and he is a truly world-class athlete um, that has just booked his place on the plane to Tokyo. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Oliver Dustin. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Sam. It's been 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 a while that I've wanted to come on this, but eventually we're, we're here. Good man. Well, it's put a smile on my face. I've been looking forward to it. We were going to get you involved uh, for the run-up to the British trials, um, but glad that we can get you afterwards to get your initial reaction. I mean, you know, you've got your spot on the Olympic team. Um, you came second at the trials. You've had national media headlines and stuff, but now, you know, you've really topped it off with Critcast Pod. So how does that make you feel? Yeah, no, that, that's a bit of the cherry on, cherry on the icing on the cake for me, the Critcast Pod. I've done, done all the interviews with all the media, the BBC, ITV, everything, but <laughs> only, one, only one interview I wanted to do. Oh, top man, I love to hear it. Um, I'd love to believe that that was, that was fully true. Um, there might be an element of truth in there. But um, yeah, Ollie, let's take it back, not all the way to the start, because I think we can perhaps talk about that in a sec, but Let's take it back maybe three weeks. Um, you know, you're, you're probably setting your sights on an under-23 uh, trials, under-23 champs, um, and then something changed. You're racing out in France. Um, tell us a bit about the run-up to that event and, you know, what came from what was a world-leading time. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a smooth run into that event. I headed up to Manchester to get on a flight to Brussels um, to then eventually go into France after a week of training in Brussels. Um, yeah, my COVID test didn't come back from the COVID test centre. Someone had lost it. So I was sat in Manchester airport for 24 hours, just kind of waiting to find a way into France. Um, and then I eventually ended up in Barcelona um, before spending about 36 hours in Barcelona getting a COVID test before heading over to Nice to race in Nice. So it's, it's a bit of a roller coaster week. Um, I was stressed. I was tired. There's a lot of travelling. Um, so I was, I was a little bit up against it. Um, but to pull that performance out in Nice was it was it was a bit of a shock. Um, I kind of thought there was a 144 high in there, 145 low, just squeeze the Olympic qualifying time. But to kind of cross the line and turn around, there's no clock. Um, the race organizer spent all his budget on the wave lights and didn't didn't get a clock. Um, so he he did that, and then there's no clock. So I like turned around and saw like the, the Olympic qualifying time like 15 minutes behind me. So I was a bit like, oh, well, I can't have just run 143. The, the the lights must be broken. Um, and that was yeah, it was pretty special. Really enjoyed it. Really great race. Often in our sport, we often talk about the uh, you know the lack of of money, uh, lack of funding and investment. Um, but they've invested in some wave lights, but not the clock itself. So when did you find out that you'd you'd run that time? Maybe about 30 seconds later. It wasn't long, but it felt like a very, very long time. Um, yeah, I, I just I, I just didn't really expect him to run that well. And then, obviously, just the shock of what, what's just happened. Has it really just happened? Because the wave lights were... I knew I was up against a world-class field, and it was really, really quick. It felt really quick in the race, but I had no idea what time I went through 400. In. I, know, maybe, I think I had 66, 67 at 600, but I didn't okay. know if that was right. No, 76, 77 at 600. Didn't know if that was right. That was just some French guy shouting. Um, so I had no idea. And then I crossed the line and then I went over to the tent. I was like, what was the time? What was the time? Pulled off because I wasn't social distancing. And then <laughs> I, I was like, I just, I just don't care at this point. And then the guy told me 143. I was like, oh my 
that's crazy. Is that all you needed really... to hear? Did you need to hear the point or anything? You were just like 143, you were like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, but I, I knew Co's record was 143, 9, 7, 9, 8. Um, and then they said 82. So I was like, oh, yeah, I got that. Jesus. That's quite, quite big. Oh my God. And did has anyone sort of along your journey so far, like almost predicted that or seen, you know, something in you that said that time's in there? Um, or even in yourself, did you do you think there was that time in there? Um, not now. I I knew I was working hard and I was kind of um, training was coming together. There was a one forty four in there, and and even my coach said he kind of always thought I was going to be a good eight hundred meter runner. Said from when I was 11, 12 years old, he was like, "Yeah, you're gonna make a really good eight hundred meter runner." But to run one forty three, that would be three or four weeks ago. I'd looked at one forty three and think that if I do that in my career, that would be incredible. That'd be the pinnacle of my career. But now that I'm here, I got back from Nice. My training training session just went kind of through the roof. I'm kind of performing, doing the training sessions to back up that one forty three performance. Um, there's gonna be a big fifteen hundred meter performance in there too. Um, and yeah, I, I didn't think it would have happened so soon. I, w- I mean, I work really hard, but to get to that level at 20 years old, it, it is, you've got, I've got to pinch myself and go, wow, that is, that is quite cool. Yeah. But also that means I, I've got so much more to go and I feel that I, I'm just quite excited of what's to come over the next couple of years, really. Yeah, it's exciting to see. And every time I speak to you, I mean, you know, you put in a performance and you get a win and, you know, the time's pretty good and then you drop the time down and, yeah, for me to watch, and I'm sure that it's the same for all the listeners and, and those that follow you, you know, it's really exciting to see you on the start list for a race. Um, and I don't usually ask these sort of more in-depth questions about like training sessions and stuff, because for me, it's more about, you know, yourself. But it would be interesting to find out what sort of sessions you've been doing where you've really gone, OK, I'm ready to drop down that time or I'm ready to compete against the, the best guys in the world. It's just kind of. It's all come together so quickly. So people will tell you, we went out to Florida and in the middle of the Florida training camp, I think Keely would have beat me over 800 metres if we had a race. <laughs> really? Keely would have put me away. <laughs> yeah, I I did like K8642 and on the eight, I think I found like 219 and this was off like five minutes recovery and I was in such a hole. Um, but I worked hard and I worked my socks off. So I put away, uh, um, it was kind of, what, what was, I'll say what would kind of be there's been a few sessions where I've come back and went, oh, right, I'm running kind of 1,500-meter pace, but the 1,500-meter pace now is like 56, 57. So that's kind of come on so much. But some of the eight sessions, I kind of, I'd finished them off with a 50-second 400 after doing um, some really heavy lactic work. Um, so that, that kind of came together. I ran it, I did 2,200 last night um, and ran a 22.5 at the end of it. Jesus um, Christ. <laughs> so so yeah, things things are coming together. I'm like PB and over 200 after doing 20 of them. So yeah, it, it is it is yeah, coming together well. Well, definitely. Wow. Fantastic. And uh, you know, you say it's coming together well. You're aiming for the Olympics now. Let's look at the, you know, the trials last week. Um and you know, for quite a pressure cooker environment, I'd say. Um especially with the caliber of athletes that we had on the start list. Going into it, who do you think was your, you know, the main person that you wanted to be or indeed the person that, that you think could challenge? Yeah, for me, it was it was Elliot and Dan were the main, the main guys that I thought got into it. I was like, and equally, Jamie ran really well out in Poland. So I knew he was coming to some serious shape too. And then, yeah, it was kind of, it wasn't really who I wanted to be. They were the men to beat. Everyone needed to try and beat those guys. 
and I beat Dan, but I didn't didn't quite get Elliot in the end. Um, but yeah, no, I, I was quite nervous going into it. Um, more the heat than anything else. I just I knew there was a lot of pressure on. after running that one forty three. I was like, oh, I need to turn up this weekend. I can't I can't be going out in the heat or anything like that. So I put a lot of pressure on myself for the heat. But I ran in the heat, felt super comfortable. So I was more, much more relaxed for the final. Um, and it was the first British champs, so it was a bit of an experience, but really, really enjoyed it and racing against against the, those guys and it's, it is it is really fun because everyone was at the top of the game even even Ben, ben Patterson came through for fourth and that yeah, was the new PB that was a great race from him as well so yeah everyone everyone was there and it was it was really really good really enjoyed it and you being in that heat with um, Finn McClear and Ben Patterson there's a great photo of you three um, I think I'd, I'd love to be able to shout them out but I think I've forgotten who it was but they put a photo of you from um, from a European under twenties uh, above it, and then your your heats in the British trials, um, and it was the same photo. You know, Finn McLear yeah. getting to the line, Ben Patterson, you know, and you sort of fighting for those top two spots. That, but um, was, but yeah, how was, was it to be back in those uh, race with those boys? Yeah, I thought they might have just done it for like the PR, the media, media yeah. side of it, just to get a photo. Um, but I think it was Dave Reagan, actually Ben Patterson's coach. Um, but me, me and Ben had it. Had a laugh. Um, when I crossed the line, Finn was on the deck again. And I just start, <laughs> like just started laughing. Like, oh, we looked at each other and went, oh, not again. He's done it again. Um, but yeah, I was glad. Glad Finn. We all got through. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was a funny race. And when those two boys came back at me in like 20, 20 meters to go, I was feeling, oh, I've got this quite comfortable. And then someone screamed from the crowd, running, keep running. So I kind of had a little bit of surgeon. Um, but yeah, it was it was nice to rest those two guys again and, and we all get on well. It was it was nice. Fantastic. And then we got some really good um ca- like moments captured with you and Elliot at the finish. Um, you know, looking up at the scoreboard. He gave you a sort of little little ruffle. Um, and you know, one of those um, you know, one of the sort of like it was almost like an older brother. Um, and I think when you you know, you, you're going to go on a journey now with Elliot. Um, obviously, him already have, have been to an Olympics. You're going to be able to go on that journey equally with Dan Rowden as well um, to those Olympic Games. Are you excited to sort of get to know those boys better, not only as yeah. competitors, but also as uh, as teammates? Yeah, no, Elliot's a lovely guy. Um, we, we got on well with Elliot. Kind of met him for the first time um, in Nice, went out for lunch the day after the race. And we get on, get on well. And it was, it was a nice moment, to be fair, after the race. I, I kind of it's something you always dread as an athlete, kind of just not knowing the outcome of a race, just standing there. Obviously, Elliot's my rival, but it didn't really feel like that. It was it was quite quite chilled out, and yeah, it was it was a long long way again. Um, but yeah, he's a nice guy, and there's some ni- nice photos after. Um, so yeah, I, I'm sure there'll be plenty of more battles to come between me and him. Definitely. And I think just in general, the, um, you know, the group that's going, uh, I have a, I've had a look a couple of times through the list and, you know, from a selfish point of view, I'm looking at all the names that I've sort of interviewed and, you know, they've gone on to great things, Ollie. So, you know, hopefully uh, this is a stepping stone to, to further your career, but, you know, to see a lot of the athletes, you know, first time Olympians, a, a relatively young team, but also a mix in with experience. I'm hoping that, you know, for you, it's going to be the best experience possible. I mean, you know, we could mention COVID and, you know, the impact on that, but the, the reality is it's an Olympic Games and you're competing against, you know, the best in the world. How are you going to prepare for it in, in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, there's, there's been, I saw like a, f- a few things on social media. People were saying the Olympics can't go ahead in the same way, blah, blah, blah. But I haven't experienced the Olympics. It's going to be <laughs> incredible, whatever happens. I don't, I don't care if I'm 
in the hotel room for more, for longer than I normally would be, or or I have to do X amount of COVID tests in the couple of weeks that I'm there. I, it's just going to be an incredible experience, and to be able to reach the Olympics is the pinnacle of our sport. It's what everyone comes out to train for. Everyone wants to to go wants to go to growing up. Um, so I'm just really really looking forward to it. But I've, we've been doing a bit of planning today this afternoon with some of the guys, the physiologists. Um, Ollie Armstrong, Dean Miller um, and my coach Graham from home um, just around kind of heat acclimatisation, jet lag strategies and, and everything I can possibly control going into the games, um, kind of leaving no stone unturned to ensure I have my best possible performance um, so so yeah I, I'm really looking forward to it and I, I'm very I will be very prepared and I always go into things with a, quite a meticulous plan so that I I know what's going on. I don't need to, I can't make any mistakes like that. And just stay on top of things. I think that's quite important. Um, and I know it's going to be a massive, massive experience. And I need to be able to take it all in. And yeah, I don't really want to miss out on anything like that because I'm worrying about this or that. So if I have a clear plan in place, I have the opportunity to, yeah, to experience the games effectively. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you mentioned there about controlling the controllables, right? I think one of the best pieces of advice that I got was one of my mates, um, Alfie Scopes, who he played rugby for Saracens and he was also, um, I think he was double or even triple champion at um, Discus for English schools. And he said on the night before our race, and he's usually quite a sort of funny guy, not particularly serious. Um, and he was so serious in this team speech because he was team captain. And he said, um, he said, control the controllables. You know, you decide what you put in your body. You decide when you go to bed, you decide, you know, your warm up strategy, things like that. So all of these things, you're right, is, is that sort of control. Uh, and one of the things that we talked about in terms of your control and perhaps the difference with you being a bit younger um, is the fact that you're at university and you're around athletes and, you know, there's a bit of a buzz where you are at, at the University of Birmingham. Um, could you speak to us about the sort of distractions that might be in their way, you know, in the coming weeks up to, uh, running up to the Olympics? Yeah, it's Circo. Circo is the big one. The student <laughs> bar, Circo yeah. but. Uh, about 300 meters away from my house so everyone loves going there but I'm sure all my friends and everyone will just be really understanding kind of going oh this is this is a big big thing that's going on we're we're going to be really understanding and I'm sure my housemates will be just kind of really chilled out and go yeah look um, we all need to be really careful with COVID everything that's going on this next week Um, and just they they are really respectful and supportive so they're almost on that on that journey with me Um, and we all we all work hard day in day out but we have fun together as well. So we, we do we do enjoy going on a night out when the time is right. But there is a lot of respect um, around, oh, no, I'm going to train tomorrow. I can't go out tonight. Um, we do we do plan accordingly. Um, but my performances over the last couple of weeks, um, I think I've kind of maybe retired for, for, from that, from the, <laughs> from the foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean, last time I saw you in person, not at the Champs, but before then, you know, I think we had quite an exciting night out in uh, in Birmingham. Like you say, it was in Serco and it was after one of the uh, track trials. I think it was about like early May or something first like one. that. Um, yeah, yeah, first, first or second one, right? So, yeah, I think, um, you know, going out of you was was great because, um, you know, it, it just, for me, it was like, you know, these athletes really are real people. Um, and they are just like, you know, superstars in their own right, but also teenagers who liked um you know rum and coke for example i think i got you on that drink and you actually quite enjoyed it yeah yeah no we we, we all we all enjoy, do enjoy that out and, it, and it'd be we'd all been in lockdown for ages i'd been at home i hadn't seen anyone um and it was more just kind of the, the social you almost crave that social 
interaction effectively with everyone, get to see all your friends. And I hadn't had that in a long, long time. Um, so it was it was really, really nice. And I really enjoyed it. It was it was really good. So yeah, yeah it was it was it was a great night and it was, it was nice for you to be there as well. Um <laughs> get to experience the University of Birmingham night out culture. I I'd I'd say it's the best in the UK, hands down. Nice. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm lucky enough to, um, I mean, with my job, I, I do get to travel a lot, sort of, you know, pre-COVID, it was very much every two weeks, you're at a different university, the company as well, you know, if, if they if they don't put you up in a hotel, they give you like 20 quid to stay at a friend's house. So I was literally like trotting around the country, uh, going to different unis, Exeter, uh, Bath, uh, Leeds, Nottingham, Birmingham, all over the place, basically. Um, just having the time of my life as a you know 19 20 year old um, and Birmingham's up there I think it's actually a pretty underrated in terms of uh, a night out but you know the ratio was good boys to girls I rated that <laughs> that was good um, and then yeah I think just yeah that, that sort of experience as well so yeah it's up there it's up there to be fair the, the big hitters like your Leeds and Nottingham I think there's I don't know it's, it's hard to say they're, they're a good night out basically but you know, Birmingham's gone if, up in my estimations. If you could only choose one, if you had one night out for the rest of your life, where would you go to? I'd go, I'd go to Leeds. It's so Leeds. sick, mate. It's so good. I mean, like, I think it's just, it's so vast. Like, it's massive. And there's so many, I haven't really, I haven't been in, out in Manchester too much, but that's a big, like, you know, um, student population. But Leeds as well. I mean, maybe it's just because I've got, like decent mates up there but some of the house parties and the the afters are just silly like it's it is very good um but agreed Birmingham is uh, is up there as well I did enjoy it and especially the athlete vibe as well because you never really see that on the track um you never sort of see those personalities but yeah some people definitely coming out of their shell after a few um after a few Jaeger bombs <laughs> <laughs> definitely it's so good um Let's get back to athletics because sometimes people like listening to athletics content. Um, if you were to, if you were to talk to your, you know, eleven-year-old self when your coach said that you could be a strong uh, eight hundred meter runner, and you were saying that you just made the Olympics at the age of twenty um, and you'd run, you know, one of the fastest times in the world, what do you reckon that eleven-year-old would say to you? Um, wouldn't quite believe it. To be fair, it was very. The far-fetched dream and yeah kind of 11 what would that have been kind of going into year london, 20, london 2012 yeah ah true london yeah 2012 so to think that in nine years time at the age of 20 i'd be at the same level as what mo farah gets and watching all those guys compete at i'd be going to those games that that, that would kind of blow around a little bit but Equally, I wouldn't want my 11 year old self to know that okay because i've worked hard to get to this level not knowing that I would ever reach this level because that that kind of is what motivates me day in, day out, day out, just to get better and better and better and put everything in and leave leave no stone unturned, be meticulous and almost be a perfectionist chasing. Yeah. Um, I think that's what you have to be to get to this level and making, everyone says sacrifices, but I think choices is a better word, mm. making the right choices. It's not sacrifices because... I'm living the living the dream effectively. I'm doing exactly what I I want to do. Yeah, love it. And especially, I think you're right because when you're 11 years old, if you know what you'd know now, then perhaps you would have got complacent. You know, sort of thinking, oh well, you know, if I just keep going how I'm going, um, then I'll make it to the Olympics. But like you said, it's those choices that you make, it's the hard work that you put in um, that gets you to those points, and and it's massively rewarding at the end of the day, isn't it? 
Yeah, no, it makes it it makes me like hungry for success. And there's been lots and lots of setbacks. I wasn't, I was, I was nowhere near kind of the level that I am today all the way through. I was kind of, I was not, I'm a county standard. I would struggle to make English skills teams. There was lots of setbacks, a couple of illnesses and stuff like that. So it was a, a real uphill struggle. But looking back on it, I've just absolutely loved the process more than anything else. They're just they're getting up to, and just turn up at training and kind of, it gives you a certain confidence in your own ability and a belief in your own ability that you can kind of do a, a winter in Cumbria, spend spend January in Cumbria. It's real, real like kind of character building, my coach calls it. And it's really, really tough. It, it's kind of made me the athlete I am today. I get down to Birmingham and I think, oh, this is this is quite tropical, you know. I'm li- <laughs> living, living the good life up here. So, no, it's, yeah, I think that has, that has added a certain toughness to my character and my training. I always surprise myself where I kind of turn up to a session and go, oh, this is this is not not it today. But I always kind of get it done, always pull through. And I, I've kind of, I don't know, I, I'm quite weird and quite driven in the fact that if I I can't not do the training that is set, the yeah. training that is set always happens. Otherwise, I, well, there hasn't been a time in the past 10 years that I haven't done the training that's set. It right. would, I would make me lose my mind. It would really, really get to me. So yeah, I, I always do what what is set, and that and that will never, never change. Does that also put um, an element of of trust or pressure on your coach to get the training right? Because obviously, if you know, if the training's almost too hard, if you like, um, then actually you pushing yourself to complete a session that's actually not going to benefit you may be an issue. So, is there an element of trust that you have to have in your coach to for him to get the training right? Um, yeah, I, I massively trust him. It, he could tell me to kind of do something ridiculous, like jump off a bridge, on, and if said that's the train, that's how the training's going to get better. Oh, well, yeah, go on then, I'll do it. Um, no, but I have massive trust in him, and we work well, really, really well together. I've been with him since I was kind of eleven years old, and we've, yeah, it's always been about our long term plan. And to get to the Olympics at this early age was never part of the plan, um, but we're just kind of riding the wave and going with it, training really well, and yeah, I, I have a massive Massive, massive trust in his coaching ability he really understands me we get on really well the communication is is great and he always knows how I'm feeling we have we have developed an understanding of how my body reacts to the, the training over certain years it hasn't come easy that's something that we've worked out and we we have really developed that understanding and there's no kind of shortcut to that that is 10 years of oh how do you feel today how, how what about that session yesterday then there's no substitute for that and that's why I have so much trust because he knows what exactly how my body is going to feel the day after. And he, he reads, does, does his research, um, always reading new scientific papers, looking at new things, always learning, which I, I absolutely love. Like I'll come out next summer and I will not do the same things as did this summer because we've learned and we wow, have yeah. changed our approach slightly. Um, there's, not, there's not a magic formula. It's always ever evolving with as the athlete evolves effectively. So true. And I mean, you're going to, continue growing um as an athlete as a person in the next couple of years as well and one thing that you mentioned um sort of earlier on in in this episode was the fact that you're not just getting started but there's still more in the tank and so you know what i guess um you know what are the next steps that you need to take to push it to the next level um and look at low low 143s 142s and and then building that strength over 1500 as you mentioned as well um i think for me i am naturally i'm a 400 800 meter runner 
uh, have lots of speed and maybe not quite the endurance, but that is, but I train 1500 meter runner type training, lots and lots of aerobic work. And that is where the gains are to be, to be found, I think. Um, so there's, I know I've been to altitudes, there's all sorts of training camps. And I find that for me, the training is just a cumulative effect. You get the miles in the legs. It doesn't matter if, if it's kind of either disruptive winter, but I'm finding that doesn't really matter because I still got a cumulative to- total of mileage in. And it's just winter after winter after winter, I just get stronger every year, year in, year out. And I don't think that's going to change. Uh, but now I've got more opportunity to go into training camps, go and work a bit harder. I'm developing more of a training capacity. Um, and that's just allowing me to do more sessions, more volume. Um, and my body kind of handling it really well to be fair yeah definitely and I think it it will be it was interesting what you said about you know that cumulative mileage um, because I think that sometimes as well it's not all about the uh, sometimes it's about the quantity of miles to sort of build up that aerobic side Um, but equally like slower miles just to get the like you say cumulative miles in is going to be a lot better than trying to do the fast ones badly right yeah yeah exactly and I think we we have a we do focus on quality but equally I, I do quite high, high mileage for an 800 metre man, and but I, I enjoy running. I I enjoy doing the miles. I yeah. enjoy slogging it out at the in the winter. I might not tell you that in December, but I do yeah. enjoy enjoy that process. And and I come from a very aerobic background, but I enjoy the process of like kind of getting faster in the summer because the just the gains are just so so big. Every session you're just knocking chunks off chunks off. It is it is a really really good feeling, it, and it sends you into races with loads and loads of confidence. Mm, definitely. Uh, and is there a couple of sessions that you've looked at over the years? Like you said, not every year is going to be the same because of the, the progression of it. Um, but is there some comparisons that you can make from sessions that you maybe did last year versus this year? Um, you know what I did? I did kind of um, out in Florida, so even even shorter term than that. So maybe um, when to go back, so maybe about 20th of April and then I did that one before Nice. So two months, 20th of April, 20th of June, I did. Um, three sets of 150, 300, 150. Yeah. Um, and I, I ran really well out in Florida. I was really pleased with my session. I did, I kind of, my averages were um, 19 and 39 um, for, for, for all the reps. And then I went I went down to Manchester just before I raced in Nice. Um, this is when I was stuck in the airport, just went down to the track, oh, got nice. my session in. Um, and then I, I did, I averaged like 17 high and 36 high, 37 low. Christ. <laughs> Um, Wait, so in literally so, a two-month period? Two-month period, yeah. Wow. And that and that is an example of kind of coming from the aerobic background and introducing the speed element, introducing the lactic element, and everything just comes together. And I find that in the summer months, now I could PB over 100 and I could PB over 10K. It's, wow. I'm in like rounding into shape where everything just comes together for me. It is a really good feeling. It is a really good yeah. feeling. Mate, that's so insightful. And, um, you know, it, it almost drives me to ask some of those mo- more like athletics in depth questions um, because, you know, it's actually more interesting for me to hear as well. Because, I mean, my brother runs the 800. He's dropped down to about 152 now and um, from 155 last year. So, you know, and that's mainly, like you say, probably cum- cumulative mileage where he was on sort of 60 miles a week, just building up that bank. Um, and then when he got onto the speed stuff, you know, that was naturally there anyway. Um, but he was just so much stronger and, you know, he hadn't, I don't think he did any, um, or mainly aerobic sessions, but not many lactate sessions at all. And that's what something that he's now gone to Durham, um, and the coaches up there 
that are focusing on so you know they'll do sort of sets of of 300 um off like i don't know like more aerobic so the 60 seconds or 45 seconds but then you know they'll have six minutes rest after the last one and then the coach will go oh by the way you've got one more flat out and so you know working on that sort of you know building the lactate through the aerobic side but then finally bring it on at the end of the session um so yeah i think that even he's probably going to listen to this and and you know take that on board and i think this you're right you could probably with the speed you could run a hundred meter PB. And then with the, with the endurance, you could run a 10 K, which is absolutely mental. Um, one thing that I've just thought of as well, that um, we didn't talk about was your, uh, your kitting out experience. Um, so we spoke about it before our, our podcast sort of started recording, but you know, that kitting out experience for any athlete is, is probably that moment of realization that it's, it's real, you know, that point where you've, you've gone to the trials, you've been selected, um, you know, you get your medals and your bonsai trees, etc. But when you get to the kitting out, is that when the the journey to the Olympics really starts? Um, yeah, it did. It did help it sink in, I'd say. But it was. It's still not not quite there. I don't. I don't. I haven't really processed in the head that in my head that I'm going to Tokyo. But yeah, it was unbelievable experience. I think I tried on 97 items. It was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. What sort um, of thing do you need I, to try on? Like 97 um, items. Like what? Yeah, what do you need to do? Um, so first you went into the Ben Sherman section. So you got your opening ceremony outfit, um, your closing ceremony outfit. Um, so I did all that. And then you went through to the suit section, uh, which was pretty sick. So you got your Team GB suit and the tie, um, really nice brogue, nice leather brogues. Um, and then you went into the Adidas section, did all your village wear and stuff like that. That was that oh. took a long time. It was just like, you just like t- trying on T-shirts. All the T-shirts were the same size. Um, they're just different styles. Oh, right. So you just try and yeah, just try. You're not allowed to just have all of them. Just yeah. be like, no, you, got, you got all of them. You got all of them. Oh, you just had to try yeah. them all on. <laughs> yeah, because they're just all like slightly different materials, different styles oh, okay. and stuff. Um, so and then you got like multiple of some um in your bag went so then and then you went through to the like performance like competition wear section, tried on your vest, your shorts, and what whatever you wanted. Um, and then you kind of went around, did some media duty, um, and then you waited in like the lounge. And then they brought out all your bags for you. Like everyone, it all been packed up. And then I kind of got home and I was like, well, why have I got so many bags? So I kind of opened, opened it up and I was like, it was like just like a goodie bag. So it's just like um, really cool, like Team GB things. There's Blue Peter badges in there. Oh, There's man. like um, an artist had been commissioned for a Team GB poster. It was, it was unreal. I got all these shoes, um, <laughs> caps, bucket hatched. Anything, oh, anything the bucket hats is, I'll, I'll have a bucket hat off you mate I absolutely <laughs> love a bucket hat that is so yeah no so it was just like just this suitcase it was just full of like there's like um during like dreams mattresses yeah yeah there was they had like a travel pillow that was oh. memory foam it's got like teen gb like embossed on it and it's so cool so cool oh my days yeah that is endless i mean i've heard of ridiculous kit drops in terms of like sponsorship and stuff like that we had a uh, guy Learmont from the podcast very early on it was like over a year ago now which is mad to say um but he was talking about kit drops where the boxes are packed to the brim and he could stack them up and they'd be about 10 foot tall like they wouldn't even fit in his garage so you know yeah to to sort of have all of that but olympic branded stuff um tngb is just ridiculous yeah and it's every single item was kind of designed for tokyo everything had like a like um, TMGB Tokyo on it at some point. Oh, it's got Japanese writing it, and it's just it's so cool. And and it's almost kind of realizing the fact that you're one of the only ones that's ever going to get this. 
even in the next Olympics, it's all going to Paris. This is just for this Olympics and it's yours. Yeah. It's so, so cool. Mad. It just puts into perspective the whole process as well. Like that's for, that's for you, an individual athlete. Like they've got, what, what is it? Is it 70 athletes or something on the team for the athletics team? Plus you've got yeah. everything else going on. So yeah, what an absolute madness. Um, and, you know, yeah, I can't even get my head around it. It's so cool. I mean, and I, I literally remember, Ollie, like getting spikes or like getting new socks and you'd be buzzing. But to have, have tried on 97 items of clothing and then to have, you know, pretty much a car full of, uh, of bags must have just been ridiculous. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I've had like some super cool kit drops, but nothing's got close to this. <laughs> I kind of, I couldn't even carry it to the car. The car was about 50 minutes away. I couldn't even carry it. I had to do two trips. Um, it was just unreal. And like, I got like a receipt. I think the receipt's like 200 plus items. Um, it's crazy. It's crazy. Nice. Uh, it was such a cool day. Such a cool day. And what, like, almost like a once in a lifetime experience. I hope I get to experience it again. But I, I kind of, kind of took it all in and go, this is quite a special, special day. I'm very pri- privileged to be able to do this. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and so the next steps then um, for you uh, in, you know, do they sort of tell you what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks? I mean, you're, you're actually going to Monaco um, to race, which is really exciting. Let's touch on that, actually. So, you know, your next race is going to be Monaco, let alone thinking about European, you know, team champ- uh, European championships and things like that for under 23s. You know, you're now racing at the Monaco Diamond League. You know, how does that feel? Because that just, that must, what, an, what an experience. I can barely get my words out. <laughs> yeah, no, it's some place to make my Diamond League debut. Not not quite Gates said we, we're, going, we're going to Monaco to do it. Um, it's going to be, it's basically the kind of top top eight guys in the world at the minute, over 800. So uh, Clayton Murphy's coming across, and all the European guys. Nigel Lemos is running as well. Um, so, yeah, it, Whoever wins in Monaco is going to be the favourite for the Olympics. Wow. Is is what what's going to happen. So so yeah, it's about putting myself in there, getting the experience, finding out how I feel against these top guys before heading out to Tokyo. But I am I'm quietly confident with just with the sessions that I'm putting away and kind of yeah, I think there's a big big time in there again. Mm. Um. So I, and Monaco, it's just magic, isn't it? It's just, yeah. The Monaco track and anything anything can happen on Monaco track. So we'll see we'll see how it goes. But yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to it. It's going to be a massive step up of anything that I've ever done before, but I feel like I'm ready for it and I need that experience heading to the into the games. Definitely. I was going to ask whether you were nervous or excited for it, but it sounds like you're you're more excited to sort of test yourself against those guys, especially with the um, you know, the sort of tactics or you know preparation going into it you're racing against athletes that um are you know predominantly they go out really hard basically so Nigel Amos for example is someone who loves to bomb it in the first sort of um in the first 400 um are you going to adapt your race tactics or are you going to still look to um to reel them in with 200 to go no I, I think it doesn't matter what race it is you're going to execute your own race um and that's where you're going to get best time i know the best way, way to run for, for myself so uh, yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to it and and i might might find it difficult against those guys but equally i'm i think i'm ready to test myself and that's the level that i'm training now that's the level i should be competing at so we'll, we'll we'll see we'll see how it goes but i am i am confident heading into it and it's going to be yeah just to, just to be on on that track on yeah it is 
like apart from the Olympics and like other major champs, everyone wants to be in Monaco Diamond League. It is it is kind of almost like the holy grail of Friday night racing, Monaco Diamond League. It's, it's, it's the one to be at. So yeah, yeah, avoid avoid Circo for the next couple of days then. Um and uh, you know, you won't get COVID or anything. So but um but no, that's all good, mate. Uh, we've actually got some some quick fire questions, which is uh the segment where I ask some some short and sharp questions that usually tail off. Um, we've got some some good questions that have come through. Uh, I'm just going to pop them up now. Loads from Ben Patterson. <laughs> he said he said about three three different messages. Um, the first question that we've got um, from JV underscore two four zero two is: How have you developed your signature kick? Can you give us the secret sauce, the secret ingredients to that ridiculous the, the, the kick ingredient? And there's one specific thing to put a finger on. I've got good speed naturally and I'm quite strong at the end of races. And yeah, I don't want to give too much away about, about all the special <laughs> special things that I do. But no, we work on it. We do work on it and we do design sessions around around it. And it is a strength of mine and it enables me to win races. So yeah, no, it is it has been a long kind of process to develop it, but I feel like it is a very powerful tool and it has served me very well so far. Fantastic. Uh, and Fiona Nuttall was asked, that, what is the last text message that you received? What a great question. I'm going to use these more often. Um, let me have a look, actually. <laughs> should, I, should I get it up? From my agent, actually. So he's very happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I've never actually laughed that much on a pod before. <laughs> <laughs> I actually can't cope. What was the last text message you received? It was from my agent. What did it? Was it literally? I am very happy. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> that is too good. Oh my day! <laughs> oh, brilliant! Unbelievable scenes. I'm glad it wasn't like something raucous from um from your sneaky link or something. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the couple of um couple of questions from Ben Patterson. Um, the first one is, uh, who's your favourite roommate from Florida? <laughs> um, I, I'd have to say, I'd have to say Ben, given he's the only one. <laughs> yeah, legit. Oh my god. Um, we, I assume it was just the two of you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so he's the best and worst. Um, yeah. And uh, and another question from um, from Ben Patterson as well. Um, did you really run a two minute 18, uh, 800 in training in April? I mean, you've already, I think you've already said I already it. mentioned that. I already mentioned that. Yeah. He just, he just knew what I was going to say. We don't run the same wavelength that much. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, and what is your daily breakfast? Interesting question. One that I actually asked Keely after she, uh, you know, she won her race. I think she was quite surprised to hear it, but what would you, yeah. What would you have for breakfast? Um, standard day I, I go for do you know the, the Weetabix mini with chocolate chunks in oh, got a little bit of a sweet gorgeous. tooth yeah yeah yeah. so probably not the best but you know just yeah. to go to I love I feel it like... I'm, at uni, I'm at uni now so I'm allowed to have chocolate in my cereal mum can't tell me otherwise <laughs> oh I lo- I'd love for that to be a feature in Tokyo as well just like mum I'm, I'm an Olympian now leave me alone I'm allowed to have chocolate in my cereal <laughs> But no, literally with those Weetabix minis, I feel like you have to have them soaked in milk. Like they have to be drowned in milk, but you have to eat them quite quickly because they can go really Yeah, slowly. yeah. Yeah, so, so weird story about this. So Tom buys the Weetabix minis Tom to eat them dry thing, out the box. Oh, what? Eat them dry out the box. Yeah, psychopath behavior. I had, I had some questions about Tom Keen before I met him. Um, I mean, 
they've just been answered in that sentence, really. You know, is is Tom as weird as he seems? Well, he eats he eats dry wheat bix. That says enough, doesn't it? <laughs> Bloody hell! Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's shocking. I, I feel like you can get indigestion by trying to eat them too fast, but equally, you've got to get enough moisture in them to you know soften up um, and feel the feel the true benefits of those chocolate chips. Mm. Yeah, there there is a level that you want with just with the milk, and there's a good there's a perfect ratio. Yeah, it, it takes a lot of practice to get to that level, but I feel like I'm there. It does. Me and my mate, Bede PK, um, who used to run with, yeah, we used to go around his house and eat like 20 Weetabix, um, but not like you just eat two at a time because otherwise they will get really soggy. I can imagine like 20 Weetabix just stacked up. That's just madness. Never before on a podcast have you heard this sort of chat. Um, <laughs> but uh, one of the questions that I often ask is, um, is what is the best advice that you've ever received, Ollie? So someone, something that someone said that you've really taken on board and then stuck with you. Um, I. I say, I don't know what the best advice ever would be, but kind of last week, it was something kind of going through my head. My physio said when he was on the, he was a, um, a canoeer, and he said when he was on the start line and he kind of wanted to get himself hyped up for a race, um, he would say to himself, if not now, then when? If not me, then who? Um, and that kind of, like going into Olympic trials weekend, that was, that was kind of in my head a little bit. So yeah, that, that hyped me up a little bit. That was good. That is mad. Yeah, I think it's it's great advice. Um, something that I actually, I think I, I don't know if I looked it up or found it somewhere, but something I said um, to myself on on a New Year's, like New Year's resolutions and stuff like that, you're hungover from the night before and you start making these ridiculous claims about how you're going to save your life. Um, but yeah, I, I think I said something like um, similar. I think it's good advice. And what about the worst advice you ever heard or something that someone said that you've gone, I mean, that is it's ridiculous and you wouldn't listen to. Um, probably anything that comes out of Tonkin's mouth. <laughs> Dry wheat bix. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something along those lines. Or yeah, just I don't know. Just it just doesn't it doesn't give me good advice. So I don't listen to him. Brilliant. Uh, I think that's that's, that's all I'm going to say. I'm real. Um, and if we were to get anyone on this podcast that you would stop your day to listen to, or that you would download on your way to Tokyo uh, on the plane, who would it be? Tonkin. <laughs> So you don't listen to a word he says, but you'd listen to a podcast with him. Yeah, no, it's just entertainment value. Can't go wrong. <laughs> oh, we'll give him a shout then, and um, and we'll yeah, get him involved. He's in font. He's in font right now, but yeah, I'll, I'll send him a message. He might. Bloody. It might be easy, like send him a letter because he never replies to texts. So I'll send him a pigeon or something. Christ alive! <laughs> um, I love the fact. I mean that that is the sort of thing that I felt when um, you know I came around to your guy's house. Uh, necked one of the but actually that's another thing tom king's um pint uh necking ability pretty strong right yeah incredibly strong yeah yeah very good i was impressed because i had to down a liter of something i don't even know what it was like frosty jacks Fro- Frost, frosty jacks yeah yeah the, it wasn't great yeah i, I can't say no no it's it's really not it's the worst I, gave, I gave it a go though i sort of um you know, being a, a year or a couple of years older i wanted to state on my authority but apparently this kid's done like a liter of this frosty jacks in like eight seconds or something stupid. So yeah, eight, um, eight or nine seconds it is. It is yeah. It's very impressive. I fit mine into a Snapchat story. So that's probably around <laughs> 10 seconds or something. So I was pretty happy with that. But, um, but yeah, Ollie, what a privilege to, to have you on the podcast. Um, and, you know, for me, it's been great to get to, to know you and get to know you not only through this podcast, but the, the number of times that we've met and, you know, you've always been up for a chat, um, interested to get involved and, 
to see you progress onto this world stage now is just ridiculous, mate. So, you know, I wish you all the best of luck in, um, in Monaco, more importantly, and then, you know, further on to, uh, to Tokyo as well. I'm really excited for it. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, Sam. Appreciate it. No worries. All right. If, uh, if you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please make sure um, that you, you subscribe to it. Um, drop us a comment as well in a review. I share, uh, share them often on the Instagram stories and things like that. Um, your support is always welcomed. And if you do enjoy this podcast, please do let me know because sometimes I don't even know how far this, this podcast reaches. And when I go to events and people sort of recognize me, I'm just like, this is ridiculous, right? So um, yeah, if, you, if you're a listener of the pod, um, do let me know on socials uh, and let me know who you want to get on the next episode of the podcast. Um, main, main guest now is Tom Keane. Um, we'll get him involved. Uh, but Ollie Dustin, thanks so much for getting involved. I've been Sam Crick. We will catch you later.